You're listening to the Team Science Podcast. For all those who are listening for the first time, welcome to the Team Science Podcast. My name is Benjamin. I'm currently a Vice Principal and Head of Science in the Northwest, and I set up Team Science at the end of 2017 as a vehicle to try and help stimulate dialogue and discussion between all those who are involved within science education and to try and bring the science teaching community closer together through the online network. We've also tried to give all the great ideas and discussions that so many of you have day in and day out as much publicity as possible. Welcome to the fifth Team Science podcast. Um, this episode, we're going to be looking at the new EEF guidance report that was published uh, late September this year, um, looking at seven practical recommendations focused on improving science teaching, particularly for disadvantaged pupils. Um, we're going to be talking to Lauren Stevenson, Jessica Wormsley, Russ Bradshaw, and Phil Naylor, colleagues working up in Blackpool, who've either been involved in the creation of the report itself, sitting on the panel, or um, involved in the dissemination of the information and the findings to a wider scientific teaching audience. So if we could start with just a quick introduction and what your role was in this whole process of the EEF getting this guidance report out there. I'm Lauren Stevenson, I'm a physicist at St Mary's and I was part of the advisory panel for the EEF science guidance report. I worked uh, for nearly a year with um, a team of people to look at the evidence summaries to pick out the key ideas um, that resulted in the seven recommendations and the sub-recommendations in the report. Um, my name is Bruce Bradshaw. I'm the uh, director of core subjects including science for the Falk Coast Academy Trust. Um, so as a trust we have taken the guidance and taken the key findings from that guidance and disseminated it within our schemes of learning. Hey, so my name is Jessica Walmsley um, and I'm a science teacher at a school in Blackpool, it's called St George's Church of England Academy. Um, so I was involved in delivering it to um, the other science teachers in Blackpool um, at a talk hosted at St Mary's. Hello, my name is Phil Naylor, I'm the Assistant Director of the Blackpool Research School. Uh, my role in the EF Guidance Report um, was an indirect role in terms of promoting the report's findings at various conferences. So I have been around speaking to Research Ed National, and I'm speaking soon in Research Ed Kent. I went down to Derby to do their conference, and I've also done Lead Learn Lengths. Just basically trying to get out, meet with science teachers, and put the recommendations into their hands and make them practical and usable in, for them in their classrooms. So the EEF guidance report was separated into seven sections. Uh, the first was preconceptions, build on the ideas that pupils bring to lessons. The second was self-regulation, help pupils direct their own learning. The third was modelling, use models to support understanding. The fourth looked at memory and support pupils to retain and retrieve knowledge. The fifth area was practical work, so use practical work purposefully and as part of a learning sequence. The sixth area was language of science. It's something we've looked at in a previous podcast with Phil. Um, develop scientific vocabulary and support pupils to read and write about science. And the seventh area was feedback. Use structured feedback to move on pupils' thinking. So what we've tried to do with this podcast is try and kind of reduce things down into, you know, small tidbits of information that we can hopefully take into our classrooms um, after the half term. So in some cases, it might just be a 60 second overview um, with others. It could be, you know, practical ideas that we can move forward with and we can try straight out of the box, as it were. 
So the first one we're going to look at is um, section one, which is all about preconceptions um, from Lauren Stevenson. Okay, so I'm going to have a look at preconceptions and self-regulation and feedback. So you need to be able to understand the preconceptions that um, students come with to your classroom. So these are ideas that they pick up in everyday life. Um, these are different from misconceptions. So misconceptions are when those preconceptions are different from scientific ideas. Um, and you need to be able to find them out, address them in an effective way, um, and then use them to inform your teacher. The second section, self-regulation, was also covered by Lauren Stevenson. So Lauren, what is self-regulation? Self-regulation is um, has three parts. So cognition, the area of science that they need to know about. Metacognition, which is the student's own understanding of their own learning processes. And motivation. Um, the Gantry report focuses on metacognition and um, ways that you can develop that in your students. Now, as we move on to section three, um, this is all about modelling. Now we're going to speak to Phil Naylor, who we've had previously on a Team Science podcast. He actually discussed another strand of this same EEF report, which had a you know a literacy and vocabulary focus. So we're going to leave that one for today. But um, Phil, do you want to tell us kind of briefly again what's involved with this modelling section within the uh, new guidance report? Um, I wrote a piece for the tests recently detailing some of the things that I've done in terms of making the evidence and research practical to put into teachers' hands. So the story I recount is I'm an extensive user of models. Um, that can be because of many different things. So models have been used in science for, for many, many years. It can be for things that are too abstract to see, like electricity. There can be things for things that take much, much too long to come to pass in terms of evolution. Uh, in terms of theories, Darwin, Lamarck, that sort of thing. But also models can be used to try and give pupils a hook to get them in, to make them understand uh, the concept. Uh, and the article I wrote for the Times was around the fact that I'd become quite lazy in terms of the models that I'd used. Um, I tried to get the hook with making things much more practical for students. And I came across the research in the compilation of this report, and it looked at Grosslight et al., which is a, a paper around the different levels of expertise that pupils have got for modelling. So there's beginner, intermediate, and expert. Now, my students last year in the class that I talked about in the article were very much at the beginner stage. So I recount this uh, tale much to my shame when I go out and talk at various different conferences. Um, the lesson was a lesson on genetics, and they specifically were talking about Punnett squares. Now, the students were finding it quite difficult to understand homozygous, heterozygous, dominant, recessive, and how this worked in terms of um, inheritance, in terms of these Punnett squares. So I decided that I would select different students to represent different alleles. So I chose some of the more statuesque students to represent the dominant gene, and I taught some more... Uh, diminutive, if that's the correct word, students to represent the recessive. I also chose some of the others on in terms of personalities, so some of the more forceful uh, were given the job of being the dominant gene, some of the quieter members of the class were given the recessive. And we did a very fun and engaging and active lesson in an open learning space where students acted this out. Unfortunately, and this is where the research came in very useful for me as I reflected on this lesson, when it came to answering questions on this, Pupils were able to do parts of the, of the Punnett square, but in terms of talking about the findings, when they said, why are three out of four of the offspring 
dominant, they said things like it bullies. They said things like, you know, it's stronger, it's taller. And I realised that I'd created students that were working very much at that beginner's level. They took models to represent exact copies of the particular concept that they're trying to describe. And it's my uh, sort of role as a teacher then to get them to use more models, to critique those models, to give the, the positives and the negatives in the models, and to get them to understand that although they represent a concept, they don't represent it exactly. And as they move through that gross light scale in terms of beginners, intermediate experts, to become better at that. And I also talk about um, removing analogies and models that aren't effective anymore. So in terms of electricity, um, I'm one of the more experienced and older teachers, and we quite often see in textbooks the analogy of series circuits and Christmas lights. Now, you know, I haven't seen any Christmas lights for many, many years that will be connected in series, and this is an outdated model that we use with students who can't possibly understand that if one light goes out, they all go out. That doesn't happen with lights they've experienced. So to be careful with the models that we use. Uh, and in the presentation, we talk about various different models that we use, but giving the pupils the ability to use them, to critique them, to create their own models, and then to be able to critique them as a valuable skill as they go through. We're now going to welcome Russ on. Uh, Russ is going to talk to us about section four of the guidance report, which looked at memory. So Russ, again, uh, like in about 60 seconds, what were some of the main findings? What were some of the ideas that we can maybe take away in this section on memory? Uh, paying attention to cognitive load uh, structure, making sure that uh, students have the right amount of information, they're not overloaded with information, um, and therefore you know, they can take in the right amount which is appropriate to them. Um, the uh, use of short testing, um, memory testing, so students get low-stakes tests at the start of a particular lesson, and they um, have a series of questions based upon recent knowledge that they've learned from last week, some knowledge which they learned maybe last month, and maybe knowledge that they learned between six months and a year ago. Uh, also, they have the opportunities to retrieve that knowledge uh, that they've learned and provide it answers in the test. Um, encourage students to elaborate on what they've learned within the lessons, so learning outcomes and learning objectives. Students should be able to elaborate at the end of the session what they have learned. Jessica Wormsley was involved with um, disseminating the information from section five of the report, which looked at practical work. So Jess, kind of what were some of the findings uh, in this part of the uh, report from the EEF? Yeah, so um, the main thing is knowing the purpose of each practical activity, why you are doing it in your classroom and sharing that with students um, so that they understand the theory and then they can see it in practice and they can analyse um, their results. And it's really important in the sequence of learning, so not just doing it because students enjoy it or it's engaging, it's doing it so that it follows on from their learning and supports them as well. So what are some things that we could do in our classroom then in, in light of these findings on practical work in science? Yeah, so the report, it mentions quite explicitly variables um, and explaining scientific methods to our students. So explicitly talking about variables in every single practical when we do them um, and also talking through scientific methods. So pointing out when things have gone wrong and um, why it might have happened, because that also um, develops their scientific thinking and reasoning as well. As I mentioned before, we're going to leave section six for now, as it has been the topic of a previous podcast, the focus on literacy and vocab. Section seven, the last one in the report, um, looked at feedback. 
something that's, you know, uh, doing the rounds on Twitter, lots of different strategies for feedback, its use, its efficacy, and so on. So uh, we come back to you, Lauren. Uh, what were some of the findings um, for how to make feedback effective in secondary science? The, they say that variety is key, so um, they need to make sure that whatever you are giving is um, very specific, isn't just marks, that it needs to be um, not necessarily written, but uh, specific to the work that's um, being marked and that they can actually act on it and that they've got a allotted amount of time to act. As with all of our previous podcasts, all the information that we've discussed, documents, PDFs and so on, is available through teamscienceedu.co.uk. You can find them on the podcast, podcast page, along with the full transcript of this episode. So at the end of every podcast, we ask our guests the same three questions, the team science questions. Um, they haven't seen these before. And the first one is, if you were given a 30 second window to share a message up and down the country to every staff room, what would be in your message? The EF is a great resource. Uh, they have the toolkit, um, which is grounded in evidence of key areas in science teaching, in all teaching, that they can uh, use to access to help their practice. Um, I'm a big advocate of feedback and making sure that the feedback is uh, timely uh, and appropriate. So I would really push um, a different, different way of approaching feedback and maybe look at maybe doing some audio visual feedback and providing that for the students to look at in their own time. You read about your subject and read about the research and implement the things that work for you in your classroom that are proven to have effects on your students and good outcomes. Okay, the second one is, if you could give a message to yourself at the beginning of your teaching career, what would it be? To say no, that you don't actually have to do everything. Um, do the things that actually matter, the things that are grounded in research that evidence shows works and um, make time for yourself. Don't overwork yourself. Except that the job will just keep on taking from you. So make sure that you just stop when you need to stop because you could just carry on working relentlessly. <laughs> Probably similar to Lauren and Russ, don't burn yourself out, know when to stop working because it is a job that will just keep going and going and going if you wanted to um, but also to know what works in your classroom if it works for you and it works well then continue to do that okay and the last question is when you're talking to your non-teacher friends what do you tell them is the best part of your job the kids really they're hilarious pain in the neck at times but they are the best part seeing those students faces light up uh, when they get it right or when they pass their exams and knowing that you've made a difference makes a big impact. Definitely the children when they finally understand something or when they get those results on results day and they know and they come and say thank you to you I think that's the biggest reason why we do it to help them move on to the next stage in their lives. We'd like to thank you for downloading this podcast and a special thanks for everyone who made this particular episode possible. If you want to find out more about team science or any of the topics that we've discussed in this episode, you can find all the details over on our website, which is teamscienceedu.co.uk, or you can go to our Twitter page at teamscienceedu.